Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Brent Bowers today. And we are going to be talking about land investing. We're going to be talking about the power of the rhinoceros success mindset and how you can integrate and apply that to your own life immediately and how you can learn some really timeless and practical tips and strategies towards not only creating more opportunities, but really amplifying your cash cash position, uh, amplifying your own cash flow, you know, your passive cash flow, or learning about how his challenges can really apply, you know, towards your own learning and towards your own growth and your own success in real estate. So I'm excited to share this episode with you. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chester, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today because it is time to really raise that bar. I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm really excited to share this with you. Before we dive in, I want to encourage you to give us a rating, review, and share this with a friend, because at the end of the day, that's the fee that we ask is really for you to just pay it forward, share this with one person that you care about, or share it uh, to your network, share it on social media, and really pay this message forward, because the abundance mindset is what we're all about here. And I want to dive in, I want to introduce you to Brent Bowers, who is an investor and coach with a focus on buying and selling vacant land. As an army officer with over eight years of service, Brent was spending a great deal of time away from his family, and he knew he needed to make some changes in order to be more present with his wife and children. In a short period of time, Brent was able to expand his business, hire a team, and most importantly, spend quality time with his family while still working hard and helping others. While Brent invests in many different types of real estate, his favorite investment strategy deals with buying and selling vacant land. And he enjoys sharing his experience in his in this area with his coaching clients. Brent chooses to live his life based on Bob Berg's quote, your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. He is passionate about helping other people find success in real estate investing, particularly in land investment. So without further ado, please enjoy this great conversation with Brent Bowers. Brent Bowers, how are you, my friend? I'm really good, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me today. Man, it's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, it was really cool connecting beforehand because we have a lot in common in terms of some of our philosophies, in terms of our mindset, in terms of our outlook on the world. So I'm really excited to dive into this conversation, introduce you to Elevate Nation, get to know you further, get to know not only your story, your background, but also how you're applying that today and sort of what's inspiring you and so forth. So I'm excited about this. So before we dive in truthfully in this conversation, I'd love to play a little game with you. If you were to describe yourself in the way that your closest family members, whether it's your kids, your wife, people that know you best, whether maybe they're family members, otherwise extended family, best friends, if we, they were to describe Brent Bowers, what would they say about you? They would say, I have a big set of, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I would say the first thing is like, I've always been told, well, nothing scares you. Like you'll try anything. Uh, you don't even know what you're doing. You'll just take off and start running with it. Um, and I now see that as a compliment before I was like, maybe cause I'm dumb, but now I see that as, yeah, let's do it. Give me, show me a way and, and, and I'll figure it out type thing. Um, I'm not afraid to try anything except for I haven't skydived out of an actual airplane yet. My wife has, I was in the army and I did not jump out of airplanes. So I would Ooh. say that's, that's one thing I haven't been willing to try. Um, that's about it though. Everything else is uh, nothing else is off limits. <laughs> so was that at some point, not a good thing in your life or was that seen or, or perceived as not a good thing that you were in that boat of nothing scares you and that you'll try anything? <sighs> you know, I think it's, um, at, at one point, maybe like when I cared what people thought when I was in like high school and middle school, 
Um, and, and now it's like, I feel like, you know, you know, what's so cool about graduating high school and college, like you no longer care uh, what, <laughs> what people think about you. Um, so yeah, at one point I, I actually used to care what people thought. Um, mm-hmm. And now I'm like thinking to myself, well, that's a pretty good trade, I think, because most people are, are like afraid to try anything new. Um, I see it. I see it every day. People are, are afraid to fail, afraid to send the letters out, afraid to do the marketing because they might lose a couple thousand dollars. Well, here's the thing. You can always get more money. You can never get more time. Um, you may be able to get, reclaim your health, but you're never going to get more time back. So um, the way I look at it, I'll, I'll invest a dollar to get more time and I, I'm willing to lose the dollar too. So um, I think if most people, you know, this is Elevate Nation. So let, I mean, I'm talking to the, uh, you know, guys that are like-minded, girls that are like-minded, what I'm talking about right here. So I'm, I'm probably in great company, but uh, that's probably very similar to most of your listeners. Yeah. And I think it's actually really cool, but it's also a really important reminder that I think our natural tendency is to really care what others think about us. And I, I believe it comes from evolution because if we're accepted and protected in a tribe, we're more likely to survive. But yeah, I think it's course. interesting not only to have that awareness, but then as we evolve past that, we can be aware of sort of that protection mechanism that's built into our biology, but then we can elevate beyond that, right? Instead of being afraid of embarrassment or failure, we can then use that as a discomfort tool to expand through that. Does that resonate with you? 100%. I was in kind of a, I was just out in Arizona. The other day, I was talking about that before that, or no, I was talking to someone else before that we got on here. <laughs> um, you know, I got the opportunity to get on Steve Train's podcast with the real estate disruptors. Well, I tried this little hole in the wall Mexican restaurant and it was a little bit like, you know, in the shady area, but I knew it was a good place. I, I was told it was a great place. And I walked in, it was at nighttime, kind of late, a little uncomfortable. I was the only person that looked like this walking into there. And I was like, okay. I'm not with my tribe anymore. And then someone walked in that kind of looked dressed a little bit like me, looked a little bit like me. I immediately felt better. Mm. So, I, so that's, I mean, that resonated 100% what you just said. Yeah. The tribe and it's, thing. It, we feel comfortable. It's so interesting. I mean, I go back to the conversation I had with Michael Easter, who's the author of The Comfort Crisis. And he talks about how, you know, our, our baseline mechanism, our baseline decision underlying in terms of all of our other decisions is the desire to be comfortable. And that's what's holding us back in many ways. And so I think having that awareness of that type of experience and saying, look, I felt then comfortable when I could relate to someone else. It, it almost sheds a light on, all right, well, what else am I, you know, what else am I holding myself back on by just remaining that comfort zone. So I just think it's, I think it's really cool. And you talked about the the way that we aligned in this part of the conversation was that originally you cared what people thought about you. And now you've really shed that belief and you've expanded through that. So I'm sure we'll come back to that in this conversation, but tell me a little bit about your upbringing, where you came from, you know, what was life like growing up and so forth? Well, there's two things I got to say before, before I get into that, Um, you know, I still struggle with thinking what, caring what people think about me. I mean, my wife, all the time I care what she, is she mad? Is she not mad? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and then uh, the second thing is, yes, we're always comfortable. Like I like to go on long distance runs and you bet your butt I'll slow down or stop if the hill's too high because I think I'm about to throw up and I don't want to push myself too hard um, because I want to stay in that comfort zone. And, And I'll tell you, I've never read a better story than the book Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. So good. Talking about just be getting uncomfortable every single day. And I've never heard anybody say it like him. Um, so we, we've got to start practicing that a little bit more because uh, we're all too comfortable. We, we like to sleep with our air at 68 degrees with the fan on us and a light sheet. We're just, we're just a bunch of, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what was my upbringing like? Um, you know, I had great parents. Uh, you asked me who my heroes are, my mom and my dad, um, probably a little bit more my mom, um, than my dad. Um, and I, I won't get into why, but, uh, hopefully my dad doesn't listen to this one. Uh, <laughs> hopefully only my mom listens to this podcast, there you go. but they were hardworking. Um, never, never saw either of them miss a day of work, especially my dad, <clears throat> my dad, uh, climbed towers for a living and then built towers. And so kind of the macho type, uh, thing that all kids wanted to go to work with their dad, like, especially me. Um, and then I always, uh, was, was wanted to make money. 
You know, when 1992 happened, the Hurricane Andrews hit Miami super hard. Uh, my grandma gave us this wind-up radio so we can hear the news when the power went out. Well, we used the radio after the power went out. But after the hurricane settled down, we're all cleaning up. I went door to door to sell that radio because we no longer needed it anymore. So I've always liked sales, like making money. Um, There's always a game to me. So I started a lawn service and then got into real estate. And here we are now. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and obviously, another thing that I understand about your background is you served in the army uh, for eight years. And, and I understand there was a bit of, uh, you know, an experience there where you learned even more about yourself and perhaps you even learn more about, you know, the priorities in your life and even shifting back into real estate or, or even into real estate as a result of that. So could you tell me a little bit about that? And by the way, thank you for your service. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I got to correct you, man. It was eight and a half long, <laughs> long, hard year. No, <laughs> I, did, I did learn a lot. Um, I, I learned what I could, what I could overcome, you know, live with, uh, you can adapt to a lot of things. However, there was a lot of great times too in the military. Some of the best friends uh, you'll ever make in a life, um, uh, just being out there. Um, so that was, uh, that was a, cr- a crazy time. Um, why did I join the military? Um, I actually started in real estate first in 2007. I got my real estate license and then I bought a house pretty much right after that. Um, so I was the buyer's agent for the house. I was so broke in 2007 and I actually had a lawn service, um, but I was still broke. I, I didn't have the earnest money deposit of like 1500 bucks. So I had to reach out to my great grandmother and I said, Hey grandma, can I borrow some money? I'm buying a house. Um, and she actually owned real estate or one five acre parcel. And she had a, a four, four mobile home rental park in her side yard. So she understood it. So she was quick to say, yeah, no problem. I'll loan you the money. Um, Plus, it helped that I was her favorite grandson. I was her <laughs> only grandson. But, um, you know, she said, like, Brent, if you don't pay it back, it's coming out of your inheritance. I said, don't worry, great grandma. I'm going to pay it back. I'm getting a real estate commission of like $3,900 to buy this house. So I pay it back. I, I get into the rental game. And then 2008, 2009 happens. I'm trying to buy more real estate, uh, trying to sell real estate as a real estate agent. And things just didn't go the way I planned. Like I was driving tenants around to rent houses and I would have to get to the house 30 minutes early to turn the AC on. For some reason in South Florida, they didn't want to have the AC on. It's like super humid and damp in the house. It smells like dog urine. So I'm like bringing the Febreze. And if I was lucky, I would get one tenant secured in a lease, maybe pay me $300 for that week. So I was like, I got to do something different. This sucks. So my grandpa said like, hey, you know, Air Force would be, you know, I wish I would have joined the Air Force. Um, and I really looked up to him. Um, so he's the one that actually introduced me to Jim Rohn. And uh, that's changed my life. But uh, I really looked up to him. So I thought he knew, you know, that, okay, that's the best decision. I went to the Air Force recruiting station. Well, they said, we don't like guys like you. We're not taking anybody right now like you. Um, I, I added, we're not taking anybody. Basically, they didn't want me because I had a little bit of a uh, spiff when I was 18 years old. Um, so I had some, something on my record, uh, basically got jumped and had some battery charges on my record um, for defending myself. So they said, Hey, you know, go next door to the army. They'll take anybody. So I did. I'm very coachable. So I did. I was in the military like eight months later. And then right after that, after basic training, I was went to Germany, then Afghanistan, um, did two uh, combat deployments and was always gone, always away, always, always gone, gone, gone. So, um, you know, th- things had to change for me because uh, it, it actually cost me my first marriage on my second deployment. And the army actually pulled me out of uh, Afghanistan the second time to send me to college to become an army officer, um, which was really cool. They only selected like 100 soldiers a year, active duty soldiers. They were still going to pay me to go to college for almost two years. Uh, so I had to jump through all those hoops. And met the woman of my dreams now, started making a family. And when that first baby came, I was like, this is it. I'm out of the military. Eight and a half years. Uh, I cannot, I, I'm eight and a half years. I may have slept in my bed for four years of that, wow. my home bed. I can't keep doing that. I got to be around for this child. I definitely don't want another wife taking off on me, <laughs> right. um, which was a great lesson. It was a good thing it happened. Um, but, you know, so that's when I got back into the real estate game. 2013, I hit the ground uh, running um, and I really just started pushing it. 
And I was struggling with that because I couldn't meet sellers really as an army officer. I was very busy, like from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. I was at work. Um, so I started mailing land and I didn't have to meet landowners. They were less emotional about the property. And I did like two transactions in three weeks, netting me a bunch of money. And that's what changed my life. That's why I'm here on these podcasts talking about land because I had to get out of that job because it was ruining my life. So I thought, yeah. Um, so here I am today and have passive income. I work a couple of days a week, have a team that, uh, well, I lie. I actually work every day because I love work. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's uh, what happens, team, right? Yeah. I have a team that's doing, they're just amazing. If it wasn't for these guys, I wouldn't have the business I have today. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And it, it just, I mean, your story illustrates how much of a sacrifice it truly is to serve our country. So big shout out to everybody that's listening that has served our country uh, or, you know, is patriotic enough to support those who do serve our country. So, you know, we just thank all of you. And of course, Brent, uh, you know, obviously your story, I mean, there were sacrifices in your background that have served you to become who you are today and the way that you're serving people, whether it's through land sharks or, or just in your business, whether it's building your team and so forth, I think is awesome. And it's amazing now to see how you're expanding through this and continuing to evolve into that next version of yourself. And so obviously you talked about how you got started in real estate. And I think many of the listeners can relate in some way in the beginning of their real estate journey to say, man, I'm like, totally slogging it. I'm trying to get a $300 rent and I'm yes. spraying Febreze and I'm fixing ACs. And it's like, Oh my gosh, this is awful. You know, Robert oh, yeah. Kiyosaki never told me about this kind of stuff. No, they and, don't talk about that. <laughs> and so it's important for us to really talk about that. It's not always glamor, you know, it's not always just pure passive income and you know, the four hour work week and all these things. I mean, it can be a huge challenge an uphill battle which yeah. is why it's so important to, you know, focus on your mindset and focus on how you're growing as an individual, which is why we're about what we're about on this podcast. Before we dive into that stuff, let's talk about land investing, because obviously you've chosen a niche that is, you know, not really kind of the, the norm in terms of real estate investing. And obviously you've done that for many reasons. So let's talk about land investing. Tell me a little bit about your strategy and what does this, what does this look like from a high level? And then we'll dig into the, into the weeds there. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned the hard times because like, okay, like I, I like, I love Tony Robbins. Like I, I listen to a lot of his stuff, like, you know, Jim Rohn led me to Tony Robbins, but you know, when I resonate the most with Tony Robbins, cause I can't compare myself to a billionaire, like right. that guy, like he's owns like 58 different companies. Right. But when I can compare myself to that huge uh, man uh, <laughs> that he is, I can compare myself when he's talking about his struggles. Yes. Like when he was broke, when he couldn't afford the buffet, when he gave that money to the child to buy his mom's lunch that day. I can relate to that. I love the struggles and it gives me goosebumps a little bit because we all go through them and, and we forget about them and we don't talk about them. And it's embarrassing that my wife moved in with another man while I was deployed in Afghanistan. But I think that vulnerability um, resonates with more people than me saying how awesome I am, which I'm normal. I got to brush my teeth a couple times a day, you know? Uh, so <laughs> it shows too, by the way, your teeth are beautiful. <laughs> uh, it's this white light. Um, actually, there you go. really, um, but, and that's probably where all your hair went, like all that's the exactly struggles right. that you had in real estate. <laughs> um, but how does my land process work? You know, that's, this has been built on tears and blood and sweat and a lot of support from my wife. Honestly, you know, you show me a strong man. I'll show you two things. He's either got a team or a wonderful wife backing him or vice versa, a, a strong, powerful woman. Uh, that's a business leader. She's probably got a husband that's backing, backing her as well. Um, so, and, and not that I'm, I'm not saying that single people can't do this. Sure. Uh, I'm just, I'm married. I've been married a long time. So I, I relate to that, but how does my system work? You know, it started by, me, I was out wholesaling houses and, and I told you I started in rentals. I had like six or seven rentals by, by 2015. Um, but here's the thing. I was so broke with, with seven rentals. Like my Amex was maxed out. My Home Depot car was maxed out. And I'm just like, there's got to be a better way. And plus, I accidentally chose a private college. So the army was paying me, but I'm taking out debt, 33 grand a year, so I'm like, there's got to be a better way. This is stupid. This is like, I see it now that I've been in it long enough. So I was like, I've got to, you know, make some fast cash here. So I started wholesaling houses. 
um, came across a guy named Tom Kroll, a wonderful organization called Wholesaling Inc., which I am now their land coach for Wholesaling Inc. Uh, it's like the one of the major accomplishments of my life, um, other than having three amazing children and a beautiful wife. Uh, but so I kind of built it out of necessity. I was running out the gate at uh, noon when I had my lunch break, when I wasn't training or away or deployed to go meet sellers of houses. Well, if I didn't get the contract right there, like it wasn't happening. Like I had, I had like five minutes to build rapport, look at the house, get the thing under contract and get back before anybody realized I was gone. Um, <laughs> and I did it a couple of times. It, if I would do it like four days a week, I would get about one contract a month, built a team. I, I hired a, a amazing, amazing uh, partner to, to help me with this. Uh, Jen, she, she's pretty much, she is running the company now. Um, and I heard this guy on a podcast talking about land. And I'm like, this is crazy. He's buying this stuff at massive discounts, like 10, 20, 30 cents on the dollar and flipping it and selling it and literally tripling his money overnight. So I was like, I'm, I'm not mailing the land. And I had the tax delinquent list I was mailing at that time. I was working on that list um, for houses. And I was like, well, I can just mail the land too. So I mailed out 687 postcards that said just, hey, I'd like to buy the land on this street or if it most of the time didn't even have an address. Um, if you're interested in a fair cash offer, call me. My phone blew up. It was 687 letters. I got 85 phone calls. Out of those 85 phone calls, I only had time for about to return about 20 of them because I, like I said, I had a crazy job, had a wife that wanted to see me, plus I wanted to spend time with my newborn baby. Um, so out of those 20 phone calls, did two deals and and it took me about a span of about three and a half weeks on both those deals to get paid. Uh, each one of them netted me $4,500 net profit. I was like, this is, this is the, can I replicate this and systematize it? And the second one of those deals, the second one I did gave me a passive income of $400 a month. And I was like, wait a minute, I only need about $6,000 a month to get out of the military. So what is that? Like 15 of these, I can do 15 of these in the next 15 months. So I did, I literally, uh, started seller financing all of them. Some, well, I shouldn't say all of them. I did about nine out of 10 because I had to flip one or wholesale the contract or assign the contract to make the cash to buy the next parcel of land that way I could sell or finance it. But if I bought it for, you know, 5,000, I would sell it for 15,000 and I would get a monthly payment. So that was what allowed me in like literally like eight or nine months to make almost seven grand a month to replace my income and put in my packet to get the heck out of the military. <laughs> I love it. And there's a lot of practicality behind, you know, looking at, well, what is the income that you want to replace? Right. And obviously reverse engineering that and saying, well, how many of these do I need to do to yeah. get there? Right. Cause we can overcomplicate this stuff all we want. Uh, but at the end of the day, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And it's also the calling card in terms of taking massive action. So it gave you the clarity and the energy towards getting those 15 deals and I love the creativity now that you can then apply to this to say, look, I can do seller financing, I can wholesale deals, I can buy the deals. I'm sure you subdivide and you know you look at in terms of uh, you know additional value that you can add to parcels. But tell me a little bit, what are the do's and don'ts that you've learned about land investing over the years? You know, I'm sure you've you've had your your share of wounds. We were talking about some yeah. failures and things like that. But will you talk to me a little bit about the do's and the don'ts of land investing? Yeah. Let's talk about the do first. You know, you want to do your due diligence, AKA research, like research the land. You know, is it buildable? Like Colorado, uh, you have to have an acre of land to put in the septic system if there's not sewer already running to it. You know, uh, are you able to put in a well or do you have to connect into the city, city water? Um, you know, is it on a road? Is it accessible? Like, or do you have to trespass against others across other land to get to your land? That second deal I did, we actually had to go across state land to get to that deal. And I disclosed it um, to my buyer, uh, but that's why he got such a discount. And that's why I was able to get a discount because there was something inefficient about that land. A realtor wasn't going to touch it. Now, once we had access, the place is probably worth 150000 250000 now for a couple acres. Well, I paid 500 bucks for it and sold wow. it for 5,000, uh, like overnight. So, I mean, that, that's the thing. It was a little bit, you know, weird. So the do's is do your research and understand what you're getting into and just 
absolutely make sure that you're getting it at a massive discount because here's the thing that creates such a buffer. It creates such a buffer where the, it kind of uh, allows you a lot of margin for error. <clears throat> here's another thing. When you offer seller financing, it gives you even more of a buffer because most people aren't walking around with $5,000, but they are walking around with 2000 or 1000 where they can put that money down. And I told you I, was, I paid 500 for that land. Well, guess what my down payment was? $500. I got my risk out of the deal. And the next month I got $400 that month cash. Um, the guy would literally give me cash like a couple times a month. Um, so that's, that's really it. Now the don'ts, I would say, don't get too cocky. Cause I started getting by, just buying stuff sight unseen. I was like, okay, yep. County says it's worth 30, 33,000. I'm paying 2,300. No brainer. Right. Well, I didn't run title search. I didn't realize it was a treasurer's deed where the person bought it uh, because they foreclosed because they paid the taxes for many years. And then it's finally deed eligible and they foreclosed on it, took the deed and they literally sold it to me. Well, there's a cloud on the title for nine years. You've got to go through something called quiet title. And now I'm finding that it's only like $1,500 to do that, maybe $3,000. I could have went through quiet title and sold the thing for $30,000. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know what I didn't know type thing. I paid coaches. Um, I hired a coach and I hired another coach. And I just kept like hiring anybody that knew anything about land. I would hire them because I was like, I want to be where you're at type thing. So I want to stand on the shoulders of giants and model kind of like uh, Tony Robbins says, um, and one more do is, you know, go check out the land, send someone by there, take photos, put a sign out for sale while you're at it before you even buy it, put a sign out and see if you can get someone that's interested in it. Because I have the question all the time, what if I get stuck with the land? And I say, what if you had a buyer before you even bought the land? I love it, man. So it's obviously do your homework, go into the deal, eyes wide open. And I think that applies to real estate, any piece of real estate in general, it's do your homework, right? Trust, but verify. Due diligence is one of the most important systems or processes that any of us can employ in our business and continue yeah. to refine and get better. But I think what you said in terms of don't is don't get too cocky, right? You think that you know everything, especially when you create more and more success and you start to be, think that you become invincible, right? In yes. many ways. So the question <laughs> yeah. is, all right, well, what is the next landmine, you know, for lack of a better description <laughs> and part of this conversation? So how can you step over that and mitigate that risk, right? So in terms of not getting too cocky, you mentioned hiring coaches, surrounding yourself with people, whether it's consultants or otherwise to learn more modeling success. But what are some other components of not getting too cocky that you'd point to? I'll tell you what, you know, and most people, a lot of listeners, you've got some pretty, pretty intelligent listeners, already sophisticated real estate people, but people just getting started are probably going to put up their defenses. When I, when I say this, they're going to push back and think they're going to have a lot of reasons. Well, I can't afford that. Or I don't know who to hire. It is hire someone to do that due diligence for you every single time they have a checklist that they've got to check because that's like, I am a higher level. I'm a visionary. I see it. And I do it a couple of times. I don't want to do it anymore. So <laughs> I now have that person that does my, my due diligence. Like I have a due diligence checklist. I give it out for free and I, I would be more than happy to share it. And it's nothing rocket science, but she checks every one of these 14 items. I think it's now 15 items every single time we buy a piece of land, even if we're buying it through a title company, because sometimes title companies don't catch liens that don't exist. Like if the water company has a water tap on the land, and you have to pay $20 a month. And that, that fee's been adding up for you know 10 years, but they never place a lien on it. Someone's going to have to pay that lien one day. So you got to call the water company, even if there's no water on the land type thing. That catches yeah. a lot of people. So that was probably my superpower is I know that I'm not the, um, I shouldn't say, I always want to hire, hire people or find people that are smarter than me. But I would say more also that that will just stick to things and 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 be responsible for things like me. I want to do all everything, and sometimes it turns into nothing. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. 
Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called The Bottom Line, The 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value-packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, no, that's so true. We have to surround ourselves with other people who can support us, not only in their own unique abilities, but in terms of what are they best at, whether they're highly detail-oriented or they are more of a visionary like yourself. It's like we have to have some self-awareness to know who is it that we need to surround ourselves with. And it's so interesting, as you were describing some of these challenges that you could you know, potentially get yourself into if you don't do the proper homework. I was thinking about one of the first deals I ever bought, and it was not a, a raw land deal, but it comes down to parceling the property. I actually didn't, I wasn't aware that the property was actually in multiple parcels. I thought it was in one. And so I actually had back taxes oh. on one of the parcels over, that accumulated over a few years that then became an issue, right? They became a problem when I went to sell the property years later. And so I think it comes down to, you know, detailed due diligence, detailed homework and asking the questions and, and maybe even saying, look, you know what, there might be some challenges here that we need to get ahead of. So having those checklists, I think are really important, but have you run into any issues like that or any other issues that have really kind of opened your eyes to perhaps even expanding your due diligence checklist or oh, so yeah. forth? Yeah. One, for instance, um, I bought one of the last remaining lots in a, uh, uh, it was a plant. It was a, it was a neighborhood that was all manufactured homes, actual true manufactured home, not modulars, not trailers, but manufactured. And I'm like, why in the world is this thing still available? And what's really cool. It, and I'll, I'll actually wait for, wait till before I say that I was like, why is this thing still available? And Found out the lady's husband died. He was a builder. He, he literally built these things. And we had to open up the, the he, uh, corporation uh, to get this parcel of land. So all said and done, I had about 350 bucks into this, this deal. And this is in Fountain, Colorado. Uh, if anybody wants to fact check me um, <laughs> on Mojave. Um, so basically, we, we get it. We get it all taken care of. And lady's super happy. I sent her her funds. I kept the deed. I never, ever put it in my name because I had a buyer that was going to pay me $16,000 for it like the next day, the second I got that deed because I found my buyer beforehand. I didn't want to get stuck with this thing. I was, it was like my fifth land deal, my fifth land deal. Um, so I'm about to buy one for 300 something bucks and make 16 grand. Life-changing money when you're only making like four grand a month um, in the military. So... Come to find out, thank God I didn't file record that deed in my name because there's a hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollar IRS tax lien on this land. Wow! So if I would have taken it, apparently I would have inherited that. Um, so I didn't. I was just like put it in my filing cabinet. This poor lady's calling me for like the next several months. Hey, I'm still getting bills, tax bills. Get that land out of my name. Like I wouldn't return a call because I didn't know what to do. Uh, I, I froze in fear. I kept buying other little uh, different parcels of land, kept going about my merry way. I just, I just looked at that other one as like, Hey, that was just an investment. I, the money's gone. Well, one of those coaches I talked about, he said, Hey, try it again. You know, sometimes those things fall off. Um, well I did. And then I hired another title company too, because uh, you find a bad title company, they can almost put you out of business for you. You can get in business. Um, because I had like several of my deals go bad because my title company couldn't figure out how to mm. fix the title issues. They ended up firing that agent. Um, and I do now use them again, <laughs> that title <laughs> company. But um, anyhow, so I did. So I found another buyer this time for $35,000. So that one year get, got me an additional like what, couple, I mean, doubled my money. And this time they were going to put 5,000 down and pay me 500 and something dollars a month, 584 a month for the next like seven years. I'm still getting paid today 
on that land deal. It's almost, it's almost paid off though. It's going to be sad when, when that day happens. Um, so they gave, they're going to buy it for 5,000. Um, the title company is going to take care of everything. Uh, so basically we did it. We got the deal closed that got rid of the IRS tax lien. Um, got my $5,000 down like the next day. I'm in, I'm now actually holding a contract for, for deeds. So I still own the land in my name. Um, it's it, the deeds in my name and got the deal done. But that was probably the biggest, scariest one for me, that $157,000 IRS tax lien. Cause that would have, no, I, so I thought at the time that would have just wiped me out. Yeah. But you know, now I look at it, it's like, well, that would have been like cost of doing business, but, um, so, so how did you get one. rid of the lien? Did you negotiate as a part or no. with the with the title company, or how did you get rid the of the title lien? company? Made a few calls and it was gone. Wow, it was just gone. And they insured it. They put title insurance on it because uh, that's why, like, I couldn't sell it to the first guy because he was going to develop it, but they would not give a title policy on it due to, to that lien. So, and I was so like, you had it under option at the time. Is that correct? No, I bought it. I actually, we reestablished the corporation that owned it. We had the, cause it was dissolved. So we reestablished it. And then that lady was now the seller, the, the woman, the, uh, the wife of the husband that died um, became the new like managing member of the LLC, transferred it to me. And then now I owned it. She gave me a quick claim deed. Uh, so whenever I basically, I basically the title company, took that quick claim deed and, and title insured it for me. That way there was no issues um, with the transfer and got it in my name. That was yeah. clean and got rid of all the liens. And I mean, I think we owed this, the city, like I think $3,500 too for mowing for like the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, so guys, interesting. Such a racket. Yeah. Cause you think about like these issues and you always want to get issues like this taken care of before acquiring a piece of property. And it's so interesting that you were able to sort it out even after taking, taking title to the property. And so I think it just illustrates hiring great people around you, right? Surrounding yourself yeah. with great attorneys, great title companies, great lenders. If you're, you're in that business and coaches, and, yeah, yeah, coaches. <laughs> exactly. So I want to dive into some of your other strategies and philosophies, but before we go there, let's talk a little bit about systems in your business. So you you've talked about identifying pieces of property, finding opportunities, whether it's wholesaling, whether it's using seller financing or what have you tell me a little bit about your strategies, because I know you use mailers and so forth. You use lists and systems. Talk to me a little bit about the flow of your business and how you find deals, how you find the appropriate buyers to exit to and so forth. And what does that all look like? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as promised, I wanted to tell you what was cool about that. The last thing I want to tell you about that one deal, um, I actually was able to get the property next door under contract like last year. Um, the, the, literally the adjacent parcel, it had a, a manufactured home on it. And we ended up assigning that contract to a cash buyer. And I made a $35,000 net assignment fee on that one. So I ended up those two lots just doing almost roughly $70,000 worth of net profit on, on both of them. Um, so that it's really crazy. Like you do one deal and it leads to another. Sure. So um, as far as my system, my strategies, how, let's, you want to just kind of run through it like uh, A to Z type thing. That'd be great. All right. So in the beginning, um, I really had a tight budget. I didn't have much money. So I was like, where's the lowest hanging fruit? And that was the people that were behind on taxes. I call that the tax delinquent list. Some counties call it the tax lien list. Um, when you call the county, most of the time they'll say, well, that list doesn't come out till September or October. You got to wait. Don't wait. Get last year's list. Because if they're behind on taxes, that shows there might be some type of motivation to get rid of that land, that house, that mobile home, whatever it is. Um, I'm finding that counties are starting to charge for these lists. Uh, you know, five, six years ago, they were free when I was using them. But uh, it's a way to go after the low-hanging fruit, especially the people that are out of state and behind on the taxes. They're telling me right there they don't want the land or the house, whatever it is. Um, so that's step one if you're strapped for, for cash. Now, if you've got a little bit more of a budget, you know, you can just go to someone like uh, priced.com, um, P-R-Y-C-D.com. You can pull lists, whether it's land or houses, and they tell you what the land's worth. And they'll even give you like an offer sheet. Like you want to offer five cents on the dollar, 10, 20, 30 cents on the dollar. Um, and I can share an affiliate link to get your first seven days free and 400 records for free if, if you'd like. Sure. Um, 
Uh, it's priced.com forward slash the land sharks. That'll get you seven day free trial. Plus your first 400 records are free. You just got to claim them. You can literally be mailing houses or land tonight. Awesome. I love it. And it just comes down to resourcefulness, right? It's asking for the list. And if they tell, you know, well, wait a minute, there's still another option here. Well, how about last year's list? I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. I had to talk to five different people before I met the right person. And guess what? She sent me the wrong list the first time. That was the most like, uh, I, that was, that was, that was rough in the beginning. And I have students all the time. They're like, well, I, they told me that list doesn't come out till then. I'm like, I told you in the module, they're going to tell you that. And here's what you say, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, people get beat up and it's just about going back, you know, Rocky kept standing up and getting punched in the face again. Um, that's why, you know, we're talking to elevate nation right here. Uh, mindset, you just got to have that mindset of knowing I'm going to get punched in the face today. But tomorrow I'm going to get out of bed and do it again. And, and the punches eventually get softer. Yeah. And eventually it's like you hire a team and then they get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they start to recognize that you're not going to give up. So they're going to stop punching in the face. And if they do, maybe you've reached a point where they're punching you in your thighs and your thighs <laughs> are not nearly as, as sensitive as your face. And so as you continue to grow, you get stronger. That's like one thing I remember when I originally read Thinking Grow Rich. Uh, several years ago, when I read, you know, those words from Napoleon Hill, that one of the principles was persistence. I was like, man, you know what? I got that. I at least have persistence and I can be resilient. I can keep getting up and I can never give up. And as I continue to feel discouraged, I can keep going. And sometimes that's all you have, but sometimes that's the most valuable thing, but then you flex that muscle. So tell me, talk, let's talk a little, a little bit about mindset and, and yeah. why is yeah. mindset and how does mindset impact your success? Probably my favorite subject to talk about, but let me tell you before, I want to disclaim this. Like, I don't always have the best mindset. Sometimes I'm a little aggravated. Sometimes like I feel like I, you know, my Cheerios had like, you know, the the cat pooped in my Cheerios, (laughs) but I get over that. And eventually I get back to the happy, uh, good, positive mindset I have. Um, but you know, it's a struggle. And I see, I used to think, oh my God, these leaders out here on stage, the Jim Rohns of the world, like they're just happy. This is too easy for them. They're always like that. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think it's one of those things like Jim Rohn says, like motivation is like taking a shower. You got to do it a couple of times a day, depending on where you live in the world type thing. Uh, so we got to reset our mind. Um, you know, I just, I'll tell you what a setback we just had. I thought we we're going to have, have a pool party this weekend. Well, the pool company, some reason or another, they quit on us like uh, because of something that was going on. They, they thought we didn't want them anymore. And it's funny the the lady that sold us the house owns the pool company. And I'm like, what the heck? What? <laughs> Why wouldn't we want you anymore? So we were t- told we can't swim this weekend. And I, the kids were just like looking forward to it. And for about 30 seconds, I was like, darn it, man. And now I'm over it. We're going to find other things to do type thing. And you just got to get over the obstacles. That was my obstacle. We can't swim this weekend because they just put like uh, chemicals in there. It's the stuff that'll burn our skin off acid or whatever. <laughs> so we could jump in the, we could probably swim, but we'd have burnt skin um, type thing. So you just got to get over those, those constant obstacles that are going to come your way and persistence. You mentioned it. Um, I will tell you what, I have learned so many lessons from children. My daughter can pretty much get anything she wants in life and not because she's my daughter and not because like all the women listening to this are probably thinking, well, yeah, because you're a pushover, you're a dad. No, it's because <laughs> she does not stop asking until she gets what she wants and it pisses me off. <laughs> but who won? The three-year-old or me? Definitely the three-year-old. She, she, she kicked my butt. Like she took my soul, like uh, yeah. David Goggins would say. <laughs> Um, cause she just kept asking for the popsicle until she finally got it. She asked in so many different ways, a sweet way, a mean way, a mad way, a screaming way that hurts my ears. And that usually is the one that does it. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool because like the basis of your mindset comes down to just that resiliency, that persistency, that continuing to push forward. And of course, behind you, there's a rhinoceros, right? If anybody's watching on YouTube, you see the rhinoceros behind Brent. 
And then, of course, before the podcast, we were talking about a book that both of us love, and it's called Rhinoceros Success by Scott Alexander. If anybody's watching on YouTube, I just held that book up. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes as to where you can find that. But it's a very, very simple book, and it's a very impactful book that both of us have read. And, and it was actually one of the first books that I, it was actually my, my first broker in real estate uh, gave me this book. And I remember reading it and I'm like, man, this is so simple and kind of silly, but it has stuck with me ever since. And I have a picture of a rhinoceros in my uh, office. And I know that you're very fond of this as well. So talk to me about how that book and just that philosophy, there you go. There it is right there, the rhinoceros statue. So how does, how does the rhinoceros success philosophy impact your thinking and how you continue to push forward? You know, Scott Alexander, the, the author of Rhinoceros Success said it best. You know, you just got to charge every single day. You got to get out of bed. As soon as your feet hit the ground, you got to start charging. They've got three inch thick skin. So nothing is, the torpedoes are going to hit you and they're going to bounce off. Some might stick in, but you got to pull those out too. And just, it's just, no, if you think about it, like, and this is the Rhino tribe, the, the wholesaling ink is a Rhino tribe. So that's why it's like my, my, uh, you know, behind me here. But I mean, I, I have the course called the land sharks. I, I couldn't think of anything, the land rhino, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like, they've got that, 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 uh, that horn that will stab and knock things out of the way. You've always just got to be charging. I, I feel like any business that you have in life, I mean, if you want to get something done, just charge right through it. Um, now be smart about it. You know, you can, you can analyze things and uh, figure out better ways around the wall, or you can just charge right through it. Yeah, no, that's so good. And the other thing that really stuck out to me on that one is sometimes the rhino lays in the mud too. Sometimes the rhino needs to recharge and, and right. just chill out. And we all need that too, right? So it's not all about just charging through the wall or just being persistent and resilient and tough. But of course, many of those things are relevant. Sometimes we need to take a back seat and chill out in the mud. So man, there's so much good stuff there. There's so much good stuff in this conversation. I know we could have gone in so many other directions as well, but I want to transition into our rapid fire section. It's called the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. It's all about charging through the wall. It's all about having two inch or three inch thick skin so that you can continue to be persistent. But I have a few questions for you before we wrap for the day, Brent. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? I would say definitely number one, Rhinoceros Success. Uh, and I already talked about that. Number two, The Go-Giver. Not to be confused with The Go-Getter. You know, The Go-Giver is just such an amazing book. My entire business is built on that philosophy. Connect people with others, collaborate. Uh, you know, it's just such great, great knowledge. And number three, The Wealthy Gardener. Uh, that's the one I, you know, I literally gave that book to my chiropractor the other day. Um, it's just practical knowledge. I wish someone would have changed, chained me to my desk when I was 18 years old and made me read the, uh, the wealthy gardener. Um, just such amazing advice, practical advice and a story format. Um, I love, you know, I love those books that are really thin and easy to read and big, big letters. Um, I'd say the wealthy gardener was a little bit, uh, longer than what I preferred, but I like stories too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. We'll put links in the show notes of those books. And I just love how that's impacted your philosophy in terms of how you serve other people, how you give and how that's created this abundant mentality that you have shared with us today. So I think there's so much value in that. I just love asking about books because there's always something new to learn and we all learn something different from a book, right? There's always a new distinction oh, that yeah. perhaps that you got that maybe I didn't. And so I think it's important for us to discuss books as well, not only just read them, study them and share them with other people. And aside from our discussion today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Brent? And I'm, I'm now wishing I would have mentioned the Bible too. Can I add for it? There you <laughs> um, go. Yeah. You know, elevate my life. You know, I go through ups and downs. There's some, some weeks where I'm like really good on like personal development, physical fitness. Um, I would say hiring coaches, you know, if there's anything I want to do, like I got a, I've got a business coach. I'm going to talk to right after this, uh, this call. Um, I'm, I'm big on coaches and that elevates my life. You know, if I can compress time frames, uh, for, so that coach took 10 years to teach what he's teaching me and it takes me and I can do a six month course with his coach or 12 months, I can literally almost compress his 10 years or her 10 years to my one year. 
Um, you know, marriage counselor, that's no bigger investment than in your marriage than a marriage counselor. You don't have to be in the dumps or the slumps to go through marriage counseling. You could, you could start and like now and always be improving, um, in life. You know, I, I no longer have my personal trainer cause I just moved, but, uh, a guy that I was also teaching how to, you know, invest in land was training me and my, I'm talking about some like gains quick. <laughs> so I just like the model um, success. And that, that's one way I would say hire a coach and maybe trade with a coach. Maybe you can't afford a coach right now, figure out a way to afford that, that coach. Yeah. Get resourceful, right? Because how interested or how committed are you to that outcome? Or are you just interested? Because if you're just interested, then, Oh, well, I can't afford it. I can't do that. Or I don't have any time for that or whatever the excuse is. So I just think that that's a great, great realization. I almost think of tribe of mentors. It's like you're creating a tribe of mentors around you to help you compress those timeframes. And I, I love elevating in that capacity. And I, I think that's such a great distinction. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Brent? You know, give them confidence and permission. That's uh, Tom Kroll gave me that. He, he was the, he was the, the founder of wholesaling Inc. You know, he said, you got to, when you're coaching someone, you got to give them permission and confidence. And that's just been one of like the, the biggest, like mindset paradigm shifts I ever could have, have ever heard. And I get people calling me every single day that I, that I personally coach and all I've got to do is give them permission and confidence. That is awesome. That is a phenomenal distinction. And I know that every single one of us has the opportunity to give someone else confidence, to give someone else permission to go bigger, to be bigger, to be more and to be the highest version of themselves, because that's what we're all really, you know, we, we've all been born to do that. We've all been born to become this highest version of ourselves. And it comes down to really everything we talked about today. So Brent, what an awesome conversation. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I know that, uh, and just from what you said, just made me think of this. I know I mentioned Tony Robbins several times on here, but I went to uh, his UPW out in LA a couple of years ago. I brought one of my team members, brought my pregnant wife, um, and I never would have ever thought about walking on fire, actual <laughs> coals, but he did it. That gave me the confidence and the permission, like this old guy, and I'm calling Tony Robbins old. Yes. Um, <laughs> this old guy's doing it. I can do it. And I walked right across that thing. I, I got the confidence and the permission to do it. That didn't is hurt. amazing. Didn't hurt at all. By the way, I was there too. And I did the exact same thing. We were at the same UPW. So big shout out to you. Big shout out to everybody else who joined us in that experience. And that is a life-changing experience, right? And we could talk about that for, for much longer, but such a great way to end the conversation, man. I just want to encourage Elevate Nation to check out thelandsharks.com. Of course, we'll put a link in the show notes as to where you can find Brent on LinkedIn, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. But is there anywhere else where the listeners can find you, Brent? Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking. And if you want to go to the landsharks.com, set up a call, see if we can help you and your, your real estate goals love be honored to coach you. Um, I just actually launched a YouTube channel like two months ago. Um, I, I don't think anybody else out there is actually giving the, uh, the advice I'm given how to invest in land on YouTube. So a uh, free channel, I'm, I'm busting out content five days a week on there and then, or Instagram, Brent L Bowers, super easy to find me. There we go. Brent L. Bowers on Instagram and of course, thelandsharks.com as well. Uh, again, just check the link in the show notes uh, for every place that you can find Brent. And of course, you want to check him out on YouTube. We'll definitely check that out. Uh, I will be doing that myself. So Brent, thank you so much for bringing so much value today. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Tyler. Such a, such a fun time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.